Voice at the Table provides practical information to ensure people with a cognitive disability have a real and equal voice on boards, committees and advisory groups. We do this by providing training for people with an acquired brain injury or intellectual disability and through a peer-led monthly meetup. We educate organisations and government departments to use inclusive meeting practices by providing training and resources. But most importantly, VAT tries to make the world a place where everyone is equal and can participate by being given supports they need to contribute the way they want. Our board is disability-led and our resources and training are co-produced and facilitated by people with a disability. Come check us out, voiceatthetable.com.au. We gather together today on this special place to continue our learning journey together. We are knowing the boy, Barang, and Boom Barang, people of the Kuma Nation, as the tradition Kajasian of this land and waters of the place where we are recording this podcast and this sovereign had not been Jesus. We knowledge and pay respect to the oldest past and present and emerging. We also pay respect to the first nation who are listening. We remember the self-advocates who have worked really, really hard over the years for the right for themselves and other people with disabilities to live in the community and for equality and human rights for all. Nothing about us without us. That chat. Welcome back to That Chat. In today's episode, I'm talking with a a good friend of mine, someone who actually brought me into the VAT family, Larissa McFarlane. Hey, Lara. Which do you prefer? Just so everyone, so I'm consistent all the way through. Lara um, or Larissa? I reckon we should be inconsistent and use both okay. names, but actually, Excellent. really, don't mind. <laughs> Excellent. Now, we're going to kick things off slightly differently to how we normally would. Obviously, you know, the, the we want to talk about disability pride during this episode. So I think, Marissa, you have a wonderful poem to share with us. I do. But actually, before I um, um, do that, I do want to acknowledge that I'm um, today on the land of the, the Bunurong people. I'm up in um, Footscray. And, and I do also, whenever I, well, I, or whenever, whenever I can, I also really want to acknowledge um, the the disabled people who've come before me and the disability activists and the people who've been fighting for disability rights because um, I know so much of what I know is through what they have advocated for and taught us and I'm very grateful to that. And I also just want to acknowledge all the work that people do because it's bloody hard being a disability self-advocate, disability activist, just person with disability. I forget who said it, but someone recently came across in my conversation circles the arts world is really hard to navigate now try and do it with a disability on top yeah yeah so um, i can't remember who said it but 
I thought, yep, spot on. <laughs> I think it's um, uh, when before I became an artist, I thought that the arts was, you know, um, very inclusive or it was uh, didn't judge and it was um, it had stayed away from, you know, it was more on the left side of the politics, I suppose, or, um, you know, more progressive. Um, probably is but I was a bit shocked to find out that no the arts is really the arts as an industry is no different to other industries and other professions and there's lots of barriers um, around and lots of um, uh, systemic ways that it supports people who fit the mold you know people who are um, who have that privilege of their uh, of being white um, and of being um, being educated all those things yeah. Um, I'm going off yeah. on the tangent. Can I introduce I know. Myself? I was just thinking this is how we normally talk for all our listeners. This is how Lara and I always talk. We just go off on tangents left and right all the time. So bear with us and we'll get there. <laughs> You're listening to That Chat. So we'll come back to your poem. How about that? That's a good way to drag us back to them. Oh. All right, then. And shall I introduce myself after that or...? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Right. Okay, so this is a poem. Oh, now I want to tell you why I want to tell you the poem. Um, uh, just briefly. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling under these extreme times or these uncomfortable times, these difficult times, I'm resisting using the word crazy because crazy is not a great word. It has elements of ableism within it and it's derogatory to people who have been called um, that. So these difficult times, um, I have been like probably lots of people struggling and been quite unwell physically and and mentally. And I recognise that one of the things that I'm really struggling with is, is um, all the big and little ableism incidents that are happening in my world and um and COVID has increased those and i realized that i usually deal with this sort of ableism through community and through being with other people other disabled people and so we can share that load or it becomes understandable but when you're by yourself and um, isolated it's really easy to turn it upon yourself and think that you're the problem and so i need to be looking for bits of disability solidarity i suppose and this poem is one that i came across about six or seven years ago um by by a disability activist um in the u.s called laura hershey um and it really had a big impact upon me and it really changed the way i started to think about myself with a disability or it gave me the it gave me the the fuel to be able to stand my ground and in my identity as a disabled person. So back to the poem. Um, Laura Hershey, she was a well-known poet. She died quite young in 2010. Yeah, and she she was an amazing activist. Um, so this is a poem that's become quite well-known called You Get Proud by Practicing. And it refers to the idea really that disability pride is something that we need to practice. You don't just suddenly get disability pride and then you're proud forever. Um, it's something that you need to practice. If you are not proud for who you are, for what you say, for how you look, if every time you stop to think of yourself, you do not see yourself glowing with golden light, do not therefore give up on yourself. 
you can get proud. You do not need a better body, a purer spirit or a PhD to be proud. You do not need a lot of money, a handsome boyfriend or a nice car. You do not need to be able to walk or see or hear or use big complicated words or do any of those things that you just can't do to be proud. A caseworker cannot make you proud or a doctor. You only need more practice to get proud. You get proud by practicing. There are many, many ways to get proud. You can try riding a horse or skiing on one leg or playing guitar and do well or not so well and be glad you tried either way. You can show something you've made to someone you respect and be happy with it, no matter what they say. You can say what you think, though you know other people do not think the same way. And you can keep saying it, even if they tell you you are crazy. You can add your voice all night to the voices of 150 others in a circle around a jailhouse where your brothers and sisters are being held for blocking buses with no lifts. Or you can be one of those ones inside the jailhouse, knowing of the circle outside. You can speak your love to a friend without fear. You can find someone who will listen to you without judging you or doubting you or being afraid of you and let you hear yourself perhaps for the very first time. These are all ways of getting proud. None of them are easy, but all of them are possible. You can do all of these things or just one of them again and again. You get proud by practicing. Power makes you proud and power comes in many fine forms, supple and rich as butterfly wings. It is music when you practice opening your mouth and liking what you hear because it is the sound of your own true voice. It is sunlight when you practice seeing strength and beauty in everyone, including yourself. It is dance when you practice knowing that what you do and the way you do it is the right way for you and cannot be called wrong. All these hold more power than weapons or money or lies. All these practices bring power and power makes you proud. You get proud by practicing. Remember, you weren't the one who made you ashamed, but you are the one who can make you proud. Just practice, practice until you get proud. And once you are proud, keep practicing so you won't forget. You get proud by practicing. You can find out more voice at the table.com.au. Yes, I think uh, that um, it, it touches on so many things. And, and for us, as in uh, you and I, several of those lines ring absolutely true for me with you, uh, especially around that, you know, um, having someone listen to hear you without judging you and and Lara and I have a similar backstory I think it's probably the easiest way to put it um, 
neither of us were very artistic prior to our acquired injuries. And as a result of them, we now are, which is quite unusual. I find it quite unusual, but it's changed the way I see the world, the way I interact with it, and also with the, the people that I choose to spend that time with. Yeah, so uh, and Larissa has uh, been a big part of that for me, and, and that poem just summed it up. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to to read this poem um, because um, I already feel better. (laughs) (laughs) It's a powerful poem, isn't it? It is very powerful. And and this could just be me uh, mixing things up that I've heard in the past, but uh, Stella Young had lines of that um, tattooed onto her arm. She did indeed. Um, I can't, I think it was the last line, you get proud by practising. And she had it tattooed on her arm, actually not that long before she died. Um, And, yeah, so that inspired me as well. Um, It was around that time, you know, uh, Stella had talked about pride, but it didn't really, I didn't really come uh, sort of start, really identifying with disability pride until after she died. And then there were other other disability activists talking about um, disability pride, people like Jax Jackie Brown, um, Carly Findlay. Um, and I think it's timing too. Like when you acquire a disability, there is a long stage of really intense internalised ableism. I think we all carry that within us forever, probably, hopefully not, but the future will be without internalised ableism. <laughs> but for now, we all have it. Um, but I think when you acquire disability, you don't know how to challenge that. You don't even know what ableism is. You don't know that you're having these negative thoughts towards yourself. Well, you do know, but you can't work out why. And I think I spent a long time, years, over a decade going, why am I thinking such negative thoughts about myself? Mm. So when I discovered ableism um and then it's and then discovered that it's really insidious it's ableism isn't just you know telling somebody that they're a you know the r word or not allowing people into a restaurant because they're in a wheelchair um these are that's that's one part of ableism that's very sort of deliberate obvious discrimination but our system our culture in australia across the world in most places in developed world um, are very ableism exists within the structures of our thinking and our systems and it's really insidious and hard to see and as a result we don't recognize it and we don't talk about it until you have a disability um i'm going off on a tangent i've got too many thoughts bring me back <laughs> one of them you want to because um all right how about we come back to the very basics and introduce yourself we haven't done that yet, so I think we should do that. Um, okay. But I don't mind mixing up the order of things. I think it, it brings a new life to the same old, same old. Yeah, you're right. And, hey, it's our interview, and as you say, I don't know, we can do that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so 
my name is Larissa McFarlane, often called Lara as well. I like both names. Um, my pronouns are she, they, and I uh, call myself an artist and a disability activist and also a self-advocate. And sometimes I call myself other things, but I'm not sure right now what they are. Um, I also own a delightful 22-year-old brain injury uh, coming up for 23. And um, so that's um, quite a long time. I also have significant um, mental illness in the form of trauma, PTS, and I try not to put the D on the end because, you know, just I've got enough disorders. There are enough disorders in the world. Um, and also, um, yeah, a number of other, you know, as we do when we have brain injuries, there are all sorts of things that we accumulate along the way. I feel really quite lucky because I only spent a few years in the wilderness without connection to brain injury. Um, so I came, I started joining Brain Injury Matters three maybe years after my brain injury. Not sure because brain, you know, memory is a bit unclear. Yeah, it took me a while to really engage, but I, um, but I feel lucky because I know that for lots of people with brain injury, it can take many more years than that to find um, to find people who other people have brain injury and realize that you're not alone. And uh, and I certainly did feel very alone. So now that you know, that's one of my things I really try to do is try to find ways to connect um, people, particularly people who sort of only recently acquired a brain injury. Um, and we might get to that later. Um, and, and yeah, Warren's right. After my brain injury, um, I suddenly became very interested in what I could see. And before that, I'd been a musician. But after my brain injury, all my CDs were broken. Literally, I thought that they were all broken for about a year and the CD player was broken and that people couldn't had lost the ability to play music or sing. Um, and then I realised it was me. And that was very sad. But on the upside, I... Um, did sort of have this passion to try to represent what I could see, the interesting things I could see and put them on paper. Uh, I know, Warren, newer, your brain injury is not as old as mine. And uh, I just want to let you know that when I first started drawing, I was really bad at it because I'd never done it before. I think I wanted to give up a lot, except that I, that I, except that I really enjoyed doing it. And I just learned to not care without what it looked like. And but you do progress and you do learn. And if you do something every day, you get good at it. So eventually I did make it to art school at TAFE about 10 years after the brain injury. And my life as an artist, you know, got big, got got bigger and better. Yeah. <laughs> Just because you practised. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It all ties back to that word, I think. Practice, practice, practice. It does. And it's easy to practise if you have a passion. See, I'm not sure I believe that people have talent. I think talent lies in the luck of being given the passion. And if you've got the passion, then you do the practice and then you develop the so-called talent. Yeah, very much so. It's, yeah. And, and you can apply that through sport as well. It's a, a very common thing in sport. Uh, the, the person who makes it is the one that's spent the most amount of time practicing. So, yeah. Yeah. You're listening to That Chat. I also um, was fortunate to be around, hanging around SARU and uh, the Self-Advocacy Resource Unit and Brain Injury Matters um, 
quite a bit in the sort of well it was this was around 2015 when saru was uh first came up with the idea to get funding to run a pilot for the voices voice at the table project and so um and i say i was fortunate to be there because i got to be part of you know designing it as did other self-advocates um that's one of the principles that saru you know upholds greatly is that we work with and that we don't work for and that we support you um to to be able to do the work you want to do as change makers so so yeah so i got to be there at the beginning and it really um i found it really amazing i think it's timing again like i was it was uh, 18 or coming up for 18 years after my brain injury so I'm like you know coming into adulthood and it's time to step up and did the voice at the table training as a this co-design pilot and it occurred to me that I hadn't really experienced any training like this that was the first time and training with my peers and training that was um, appropriate that that was um, um, of interest to us rather than you know being in some naf naf disability training you know where they try to tell you how to vote or something i mean these that's not that that's not an important thing but delivered in a way that really you know is not that exciting or relevant so this was stuff we wanted to know about and we were doing it with our peers and we were having conversations in our training room even though we worked together in brain injury matters and knew each other for years we were having conversations we'd never had before really important conversations about you know about identity and about um what it means to be a self-advocate and um and i think that uh we knew this stuff but we just hadn't had the opportunity to have these conversations and i've been a long convert since the very beginning to you know peer spaces big peer spaces that's where we do so much of our learning um but this was more than that this was me me going well we actually need to actually create spaces to have these conversations because previously we weren't always well, I have to think upon that a little bit more actually am I still creating those spaces today <laughs> yeah. I think that accurately reflects um, the internalized ableism in itself there I think it's not having those conversations prior is, is very much you know because it was a taboo subject maybe I don't know you know, I wasn't there, <laughs> but um, I can't but, say. But... You, you look. You might be right. Um, yeah. You actually probably. I think it's about practice. I think that you know, people with brain injury, with brain injury matters. We we're so busy trying to make change, or trying to you know work on a project, or trying to um, just uh, work out how to damn run this meeting. Um, all the practicalities of what it means to be in a self-advocacy group that we just hadn't had the time to talk about the sort of philosophical things and challenge the way we normally speak. So even within dis in, um, disability groups, we are still, you know, when we run a meeting, these meeting structures are coming from an able-bodied world. I think that as a disabled community or as myself as a disabled person who, even though I have this years of experience, I still forget to question the way that we do things and go, hang on a sec, is, wouldn't there, is there a better way for us to think about this as people with disability? Because we haven't questioned the models we've adopted from this um, from non-disabled world, which is deeply medical model and deeply 
defines disability as a problem and as this difficult thing that we sort of need to shut away and call vulnerable and, yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of the things I've really noticed being a, a newer member to the community, so to speak, is the use of language and how um, trying to take ownership of certain words is really, really hard. And, and and pushing through, you know, that internal ableism to say that, you know, disability is not a, you know, a, a disease. It's something else. And for me, I've always struggled um, just with those first three letters, D-I-S. I just, the dis that goes in front of so many things is really, really off-putting for me. Okay, I've got um, one for you then. Um, the word discuss. Yes, <laughs> but what's <laughs> cuss other than, you know, a swear word? I don't know. I haven't thought about it deeply. All I yeah. know is a few words around that, um, that, that to me don't obviously seem to be negatives. Um, yes. And I don't think this always has to be. Um, but you are right. It is a problem. Um, it is something that I too found difficult. And so it's really interesting internalised ableism. Like, um, do, have you talked before about what it is? Because I'm, I'm just aware too that it's a really complicated concept. That I think um, I th We've touched on it, um, but we generally address it more as it doesn't work for us. Come and talk to us about what will work rather than labelling it as ableism. You know, oh, when I things are designed for the disabled community, but without the disabled community's input. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think um, that's, I, I think I said at the beginning that ableism really only sort of, I only really identified that about five years ago or really started I started identifying with it I I'm quite passionate about it I feel like it is um, it's naming it it's naming the discrimination um, and it points for me it's sort of very much about the social model that I came across and a, discovering disability pride and naming it has really helped me so I know that we have we don't always use it but um, I use it because I think that it's important for other people to hear it sort of non-disabled people who, um, I mean, there's so many people who don't even understand, have never heard of it before. I met somebody last, um, the other day, who didn't know what ableism was, hadn't heard it before. So um, that's why I try to use it. But I think internalised ableism is worth maybe um, trying to define just because I still think it's a hard concept. So if ableism is what, you know, is is the discrimination against people with disability that, as I said, is throughout society. Internalised ableism is what we do to ourselves. So we internalise the attitudes that society has, that, that there is a general attitude towards to people with disability, which is that disability is always a negative. And we internalise that and turn it upon ourselves. And so that we start calling ourselves names or start... Um, it's like the, I suppose, the inner critic, but it's in a very specific way around disabled, around your own identity. It's targeting yourself. And it's really so unhelpful because it um, means that it really undermines our ability to do, to be self-advocates. 
to make change, to be able to um, make change. And it stops us being able to um, identify with disability. So for a long time, and that's what I was going to say, for many years after my brain injury, I didn't identify as disabled. I, well, I, you know, in certain contexts, I, I did sort of, but not across the board. And I very much was a supporter of euphemisms. Um, I even set up a little working, organising activist type team and we caught us in Mar here in Footscray and we were running, we were putting on disability friendly events, tiny things, um, which got big, but, um, and we called ourselves the All Abilities Events Team um, because we didn't want to use the word disability. And, and so it took me a long time to work out that by doing that, I was contributing to the shaming of myself, the ways I shame myself, the ways I kept myself secret. Um, I identified it as self-stigma at the time, like I knew that I was having stigmatising thoughts about myself um, and saw my disability, my brain injury, the problems I had, like, you know, if you can't remember that you've got to meet somebody and then you would feel so much shame about it um, and apologise profusely. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't be respectful and apologise, but um, if you let somebody down. But that was not inherently, you know, my fault or my um, I'm losing my train of thought. That was part of change. the change. The change was never there to let someone down. Yeah. Yes. And this was about me not recognising enough that this is part of my disability and working out ways to try to um, support myself with my memory, using those tools, getting help from other people to do that and um, and letting other people know, hey, this is something that happens to me. I might be late, send me a reminder so that I can come and remember. But to do that, you have to let people know that you have this issue. And to do this, you, it really helps to identify <laughs> with, with your disability. Nothing about us without us. Welcome to Justin Joke. Some people say they got ten fingers and two thumbs. Now they can hammer it all together. Now they can. Now they all got eleven fingers. And they say, what that? How do you, how do you get eleven fingers? So I say to them, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, plus five is eleven. Thanks to all the VatChat team who contributed today. Our presenter and producer, Warren Lorem. Our audio editor and composer, Dan Sullivan. Thanks to Larissa McFarlane for sharing her story. And of course, Justin O'Brien for Justin's jokes. That Chat Podcast is part of the Voice at the Table training. Voiceatthetable.com.au